Elizabeth Liang is one of those people who I knew of and shared contacts with, but had never actually spoken to until this interview. Lisa, as she's known in these streets, and I basically managed to run in the same expat circles for what seemed like forever without actually connecting. But I knew when I started this podcast, she was definitely someone I wanted to have on here. Like many of my recent guests, Lisa had a highly mobile childhood. Her story starts in Guatemala, but quickly takes a turn in Costa Rica, Egypt, Panama, Morocco, and the United States. And those experiences have featured prominently in her work. As an artist, she's used her voice to tell beautifully profound and much needed intercultural stories. She is the creator of the award-winning film, Alien Citizen and Earth Odyssey, that documented her memories of traveling in between cultures, identities, and spaces. In addition to her work as an actor and a public speaker, Lisa, for years, was one third of the HAPA Happy Hour. This podcast, which was launched in 2008, was one of the few during its run dedicated to discussing the experiences of mixed race individuals, especially those with an Asian identity. Lisa and I talk about what it means to be different, particularly when you don't fit the preconceived assumptions about others when it comes to race and ethnicity. She describes what it means to be Asian-ish and highlights the strange entitlement that arises when others want to define and dismiss your identity. She also shares how she used her art to process the wonderful messiness of it all. Lisa's been asked many times throughout her life, the question, what are you? And in this episode, you'll hear there's no simple answer. And that's quite all right. Welcome to The Chatter. I want us to get started to really talk a little bit, a little bit about your story because you have a very international story. And so I always ask this question with almost everyone. Can you share a little bit about your international background? Like, where does that story start for you? So it starts in Guatemala, where I was born. My brother, John, and I were both born there. Amanda knows my brother. Everybody knows my brother. (laughs) Anybody who knows anything about families and global transition, FIGT knows my brother, John. So, um, Born in Guatemala, and we thought we were going to live there forever. My mom married my dad and thought she was settling in Guate, but he got a job for Xerox right before I was born. And they moved us to Costa Rica when I was a year old, and then they moved us to New Canaan, Connecticut when I was like three and a half. And then they moved us to Panama City, Panama when I was about six and a half, and then they moved us back to Connecticut to Westport when I was almost 11. And then they moved us to Casablanca, Morocco when I was 12. And then to Cairo, Egypt, when I was almost 14, and I was there for four years. So the longest I ever lived places was Panama, four years, and Egypt, four years. Until I moved to L.A. after college, and then I've been there for my entire adult life. And you haven't lost Which (laughs) every TCK listening to this is, how'd you do that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Man, we used to do TCK chat, and I no longer own this property, but I had bought a house sometime when we were doing this on Twitter, and I swear every TCK on that chat was like, 
you bought a house. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that kind of permanent? And I'm like, <laughs> nah, really. I mean, I could sell, which I ultimately did. You can yeah. sell it if you're going somewhere yeah. or you could just kind of keep it. But they all were like, that makes me break out in hives. Right. <laughs> so it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Now, is your dad Guatemalan? He is. He's Guatemalan of, and because we have a Chinese last name, he's a, his dad was from Shanghai, China and his mom was Guatemalan, but her dad was Chinese from Canton and her mom was Guatemalan. So she was, people are always like, oh, you're half Chinese and half Guatemalan to me. And I'm always like, no, that's my grandmother. Ah. Then she married a Chinese man. So my dad's Guatemalan culturally, but three quarters Chinese in terms of inheritance. And then he married my American mom, who's of Irish and European descent. To make things super intercultural at all times. And so, how did your how did your parents even meet? They met because my mom went to um, right after college. She got a job teaching English in Guatemala. And what's funny about it is that she originally got a job teaching English in Taiwan, but she was expected to pay her own way there, and she couldn't afford it. So mm. then it was moved to Guatemala, and they would pay the trip. And then she still met a man of Chinese descent anyway. <laughs> so it was kind of fate. It was going to yeah. happen. It was yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And so how long, how long had she been in Guatemala um, before she met your dad? I think it was less than a year. I, I, okay. I should ask. I think it was less than a year. And she was at a donut shop with a friend, another American teaching English and a older woman, probably my age came up to them and said, Oh, I hear you speak English. My son is uh, studying in the United States and he'd like to date more Americans. And would you oh. like to go on a date with my son to my mom's <laughs> friend? And she said, sure, but I of course need to have my escort friend come with me because it wouldn't be proper. Yeah. And the woman said, Oh, of course. And I'll get my son to bring his friend. And his friend was my dad. And, uh, did, did your dad speak English at that point? Or? He did. He'd gone to the English American school his entire life. So he gotcha. spoke English and he had just gotten back from MIT. So he was like, Oh, which one of you is from Boston? <laughs> Cause my mom was thrilled. I was like, Oh, I'll really practice my Spanish. I'm like, no, no, no. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And so you were born in Guatemala and your brother was born in, in Guatemala. So how long, I guess, at that point before you guys were born, were they living in the country? Do you know? They'd lived there three years before we moved, if okay. I'm right. Yeah. So do you have, and, and obviously you've got a lot of memories probably tucked away, but do you have any memories kind of those really early years of living in Guatemala? I wish I did. I don't. I have uh, early memories of visiting when we were living in Costa Rica and I was probably only two or three, something like that. But I don't have, I, like, I know people who remember something that they're like, yeah, I think I was 10 months old. And I don't know how they do that. I have like maybe one memory as a toddler and it involves food. And that's not surprising uh, because I can remember everything around food. But OK, wow. Because I guess I'm, try so I'm, I'm trying to piece together your story in the sense that, so from Guatemala, you moved to? Costa Rica. Costa Rica. And how long were you in Costa Rica? There we were about two and a half years, two, two and a half years. Okay. Any memories from Costa Rica? Yes. That I remember we had a bunk bed. My brother got the top bunk. I got the bottom bunk. And then the one night it was going to be my turn. John coincidentally fell off the top bunk and suddenly it was just too dangerous for the little sister to get to be in the top bunk. So I know what happened there. I, know what happened there. <laughs> I remember that. I remember we had humongous dogs. We had a St. Bernard and a Great Dane who were quiet and sleepy. So that's the kind of dog I like. And, uh, um, quiet and just, sleepy. And it was very damp, you know, it's, it's yeah. being here now. It's like, oh yeah, it's like, it's a chilly damp. Cause we always, we never live sea level. We're always, well, San Jose isn't sea level, but we're like right now 5,000 feet up. And I think back then a thousand years ago across the valley where we lived then it was still 5,000 feet above sea level. So 
it's that cool, cold humidity or, or chilly humidity. And were you, obviously, both your parents spoke English. I'm assuming at least one parent spoke Spanish, right? Dad? Oh, yeah, they both. Yeah, they he's, both of course, spoken. fluent. And she's fluent, too, because she majored in Spanish in college. Okay. So at, what was sort of your first language? Was it English or fr- Spanish or was it both? We say it was both, but my Spanish was perfect and my English sound like this. So, um, <laughs> you know, we're learning at the same time and they spoke to us in English because they were determined that we would be bilingual because they didn't realize Xerox was going to move us to the States. And gotcha. by then we were in the habit of speaking English. So we ended up never losing the ability to understand Spanish, Spanish, but losing the ability to speak it easily. Gotcha. For some time. I, so as a kid, I mean, obviously you've moved from one country where it's Spanish speaking to another. Was it a little bit easier for you to sort of assimilate or were, were there sort of challenges? Because that, be, that would have been your first TCK experience, right? Yeah. And I was so little, I think it was fine. Uh, I have no memory of any suffering whatsoever. It was just <laughs> fine. And we used to used to be able to easily drive the Pan American Highway from um, Costa Rica up to Guatemala. And so we would do that a few times a year. I was going to say, how long is that journey typically? Or was it back then? I think it was two nights. I think we only had <laughs> to sleep for, might have been three oh, nights, but wow. nah, I don't think it was even that long. Wow. Oh my goodness. At least as far as living in Costa Rica at that age, great experience. Nothing that kind of stuck out to you. Yeah, nothing. I remember things like, because it's the tropics, things like opening a, a closet yes. and seeing a little snake, <laughs> you know, or, or just, you know, we got bugs here. We got I, some no, bugs here. And people. I'm laughing because I you grew know. up in Cameroon. And so you say those things and I'm like, oh God, that is totally like, <laughs> that's totally the reality. God right? bless y'all if you were TCKing up in the north somewhere, like Norway or whatever. But the reality is gecko. I don't know. Geckos are such a thing in sub-Saharan Africa. Oh, oh my God. Everywhere, right? <laughs> I mean, they're just on the wall and you don't think about well, it. Well, I came from the States. Gecko. And so the first time I saw one, I I almost screamed because <laughs> I, I was a little bit old, a little bit older. Oh I was 10. And I was like <laughs> the whole time just staring at it going there's something running across the wall. Why is nobody freaking out? Also, did it just poop? Like all this stuff is happening. And, you know, I get older and people are like, no, you want geckos because they eat the bugs. And it's like, you know, it's balance and it's life. But I'm like, Mm -hmm. I didn't come from somewhere where, you know, lizards comfortably (laughs) ran Uh in a house, right? Uh So... See, whereas for me, I see a gecko and it's like, it's like, good luck. Not that that's a belief, but just my own personal, like, oh, gecko. Yes, yes. Geckos. That's normality. That's right. And, that's and how things so should be. And I, so I would imagine then, I mean, in this, in terms of you describing Costa Rica, it's probably very similar to Cameroon in terms that there is some humidity. There's, there's some seasons where it rains a lot. So I'm imagining it was really green. Probably, uh, this is just me now dreaming, probably a lot of tropical fruits around or are accessible vegetate like yeah because we used to pick stuff off the trees all the time mangoes were our thing yep we would get mangoes you never had to buy a snack because you could literally just take a rock (laughs) stand under a tree and hit some kind of fruit and it would hopefully land somewhere near you yeah not hit someone in the head (laughs) yep see my parents literally they're growing banana trees in the back and they're growing a mango tree in the front so yeah no, avocado, avocado. Like, Sorry. it just takes me back to my own childhood because I did not appreciate as much until I came back to the States how much, like, stuff would just grow and you could just grab it 
I mean, it was like the original farm to table, like all the stuff that we say. <laughs> it's like it wasn't even farm to table. It was just like outside the front door. Yep. Like I could just go pick that and eat it and not even not even wonder. I'm old enough to remember right. when that was not a cool thing, right? That there was that, that at least in the USA and there was just, it was, it was too rustic or something. It was too close to nature. And that was uncool. You right. really needed to be in a freezing supermarket to get things and, and be truly quote unquote developed or whatever. And now all those same people are like, eh, and it's all got to be organic and I've got to grow it myself and blah, 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 blah. I feel that way about <laughs> camping. So <laughs> whenever I get asked about camping, and I do know I hate it. Now, this let this let me tell you, I do know I hate it. I have camped on three continents. Uh, <laughs> I have been a camp counselor. I have camped in the Middle East in the desert. I have done camping to uh, to all levels. Oh yeah, Charmel can't stand oh, yeah. it. And every time I get asked, I, I mean, if you look at my house right now, I've got tents. I've got sleeping like literally. I have a photo of when I lived in oh Doha a couple of years ago where the students, the outdoors club wanted to go on a trip. They needed a last minute chaperone. I got volunteered <laughs> to go. Someone went out and bought me this elaborate tent. I didn't know how to set it up. So I made a team building exercise where the students put my tent together and I took photos <laughs> of me, selfies of me <laughs> while, they, while they did it. Brilliant. They're blur. It's life experience learning. What do you call that? Experiential learning. <laughs> I mean, they needed to bond. And I, when people ask me, well, why do, why do you hate t- camping? I'm like, I am first generation American. My family came from sub-Saharan Africa. <laughs> My mother came to this country so that we wouldn't right. have to right. like be that close to the land. Yep. And so when you say camping, I'm looking at you like, I know, why Why is this a thing? Why should I struggle? I'm not trying to struggle. So I get it with the farm to table, right? It's, it's really funny to me that, but I could see it where people thought, well, that's just too, you know, not developed yeah. enough. That's too, it's it's almost a class. I, that's what, I really think that's what it was. I honestly think that's what it was. And then suddenly things flip, just like right? to go, this is going to be like a 180, but just the whole thing about uh, if, for for lighter skinned people, whether it's good or not to have a tan and how that flipped over time. <laughs> right. right. Now it's proof of how oh much time you get to be outdoors and live life and leisure. Oh my God. Don't, you know. I have talked about colorism so much on this podcast. I'm gonna talk about it with you because I feel like I'm gonna get a different angle. But so you you're at this point, your little kid, where's the next country you go? So where where is your TCK story taking you after you you leave Costa Rica. Does it take it to the U.S.? Does it take you to Egypt? Yep. <laughs> New Canaan, Connecticut. And anybody who's lived in Fairfield County knows exactly. And I've had people be like, oh, yeah, I'm actually, I grew up there and I know exactly. Like nobody <laughs> has said, how dare you? Everyone's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know someone who lives there. It's beautiful. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's, you know, I mean, the, the autumn. Oh my God. Stunning. And lovely and everything and blah, 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 and well organized and hoobly hobbly and all those things. And like my mother remembers walking into a dentist's office in the waiting room and saying, good morning. And people looking like they've been assaulted <laughs> because you don't say hello. It's why movie stars live in Fairfield County, because they will absolutely and unquestionably be left 
alone. So if you're a deep introvert, it's paradise right. for you. But if you occasionally like to have a friend, <laughs> uh, it's a little more difficult, especially if, and it was homogeneously white and all the things, all the things. Well, two questions. Were you, at that point, how old were you? At that point I was, I don't know why I always insist on being specific, but I was three and a half. When you got to New Canaan? Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. How long did you live there for? That was, that was three okay, years. Okay, so you yeah. were there like early elementary years? Yeah, I was, yeah, kindergarten through nursery school through first grade. So, and here's the thing why I think it could also be jarring. You were up north. Because down here, if you say hi, everyone yeah. says hi. <laughs> like, I down here, for those of right. you who don't know, I'm in the yeah. south. So, and I'm in the southeast. If you say, and in fact, sometimes it's a little bit tiring. Like, I'll go walking in the park, and every single person <laughs> will be like, hi. And I was like, you know what, though? After the kind of year we've had, honestly, I could be in worse places than Americans trying to say hi to each other and actually smiling and whatever. Yeah. But I, I also think that was a product of being in the Northeast because I've never had the issue of people not saying hi, but I, once again, tend to only stay in the South. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. oh my gosh. And so obviously you were there for a short time and then, well, not for a short time. I mean, three years is long enough, but then when, at what point did you get over to Egypt and, and beyond? Yeah, Egypt was high school, and then Morocco before that was half of middle school, and then Westport, Connecticut was half of middle school before that, and then Panama was between New Canaan and Westport. So with all those moves, and I feel like, because I know I date myself, and I, I, I feel like we're swimming also in a similar pool here. Did you know you were a third culture kid? No, I had no idea. I, I just knew that I was... Uh, normal in international schools. I, I just knew that there nobody cared about anything right, right. <laughs> to do with my, no, no, no one seemed to have strong feelings about my phenotype. Um, and I should also explain, cause we're going to get into it, um, that I was dark Brown and I, I thought that was my just natural color. Yeah. Um, and come to my surprise, now I look like a vampire, <laughs> uh, thanks to, uh, you know, more than a year indoors. And we take our walks at night because there's no people because we were afraid of the people and being breathed on. So now I'm literally like, good God, I didn't know I could <laughs> look like this. Um, <laughs> like, wow. Um, but you've so, been in the tropics, uh, like Connecticut aside though, right? You had been in the Southern hemisphere or at least place where the sun shined a lot. Because I'm even lighter. When I look at pictures, I'm, and for some people, you're like, you're dark. No, I am lighter of the years having the longer I stay in the U.S. because we didn't have, I mean, we have buildings, of course, for people who have these weird ideas about Africa. But it wasn't like, because I get asked, <laughs> every now and then I get asked that. All those but questions. Do you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of like, but a more open space, depending on where you're living, there may not be as, I mean, it's not like New York where there's like building, building, building and sun is blocking stuff. So, yeah, I can imagine right. that you were definitely darker and <laughs> the shock. When you find and what's interesting is that you can see pictures of me in both New Canaan and Westport. And I was still even though there was winter and fall and blah, blah, blah I was still you could tell I was still a person of color because I was I had a they called it olive now. <laughs> um 
but it was a, and I've lost it. And I think it's because of years of having acne and using Retin-A and all the things that you use that slough off the top layer of your skin. And then you're putting on sunscreen, blah, 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 blah. And it literally changed. And that's really uh, something to (laughs) experience when your skin really changes color, like in a way that doesn't seem biologically (laughs) possible. (laughs) But I, and the reason I asked this question about, did you know you were a TCK is that one thing I find interesting now is that TCKs are far more aware that they're TCKs than I think probably when you were coming up. I know this because for me, I, I mean, I think I've said the year, have I said the years? I have said the years, So people should know this. Like I, so I graduated from high school in the mid nineties. And if you've heard me talk about this on the podcast, I said at one point, actually got to meet David Pollock. Uh, who is the writer of, for those who don't know, the TCK Bible. What is it? I, I should even know. I just call it the TCK Bible. Uh, it's a, a third culture kids <laughs> growing up We should worlds. know. I have a copy, people. It's in my house. And he came and he, he came to our high school, talked about it. And all of us were just like, dude, what are you talking about? This Because back then, the way we're communicating right now, internet, all of that stuff just wasn't, it was at the very, like, it was at the very, very cusp. And so- we weren't sharing information and, and our schools really weren't talking about it as much. And so I find that younger TCKs, especially those who graduated after the two thousands, right. Really. And so I'm saying like getting into the mid two thousands and beyond just seem to have this awareness. Like I'm a TCK. And I was like, I mean, a whole bunch of us just kept (laughs) cycling through and only found out once it, and, yeah. and you went to international schools, which you've mentioned, because I went to international schools as well. So you knew that there were people who were like you, but maybe not necessarily a word for that. Yeah. I remember just thinking, how come I'm not seeing more stories mm. about us and hearing and reading more stories about us? Because it's not like there's three of us. Right. Like there are some big schools around the world with lots of students and not big like American schools where there's 2000 students in one grade or yeah. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> of course. It works. <laughs> But still, it was like, and then so many go into diplomacy and so many go into the entertainment industry. It was like, there's so many of us in the entertainment industry. None of going to tell the story. Mm. And I'm sure people did. Those those scripts just weren't made or whatever was going on. Did you, and this is a two-part question, so I'll ask the first part. Even in your international school context, did you, did that always feel like that was a safe place? Did that always feel like a place where you were understood? Or did you ever feel like there were still kind of nuances of trying to make your way. It was, yeah, I felt great everywhere. And then my parents very, very wisely put my brother and me into Spanish schools, him into the high school and me into the middle school in Casablanca, Morocco, because my mom had had it listening to us try to speak Spanish, (laughs) understanding what we were told, but then responding horribly. Like that's it. This was, this was basically your first language. Let's get it back. And what was tough was realizing that Spanish from Spain Mm. I knew it intellectually, but it wasn't until I was there that it was like, oh yeah. my gosh, whole other vernacular. And, and and it's not just slang. It's just another way of speaking and another cadence and rhythm. Not that, you know, Panamanians speak it completely differently from Guatemalans who speak it differently from Costa Ricans, but nevertheless, having lived in all three of those <laughs> countries, I could catch right. it. And also realizing it was not going to be easy to to regain it in terms of speaking it because what I'd been told by other kids at international schools who didn't speak English when they first went to that school or whatever, they said, they all said the same thing. It was like, oh, it took about a month to three months. Mm. 
So I expected since I already spoke Spanish or understood it, that it would take me a month or three months. It took me the entire school year to get measurably better at it. And part of it was because I was so yeah. silent because uh, this is a line from Alien Citizen because you need to practice. Yeah. <laughs> and all I did is, and then I cover my mouth because I'm listening, 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 trying not to stand out, trying not to be too weird because I was the only non-Spanish Moroccan or French Moroccan European or African in that mm. school. There, there were no Latin Americans and there were no Americans. So they were just thrilled to have like this new classmate from, you know, but they, you know yeah. how it is. You don't want to stand out that much when you're that young, blah, blah, right? blah. So beyond that though, other international schools, yeah, they were, they were great. It was a little rough the first year uh, at the one in Egypt. People adore it. It's a great school, Cairo American College. But the year we went there that first year, it was super politically conservative, mm-hmm. which we weren't. And it, we were, and, and I should say among the Americans who were about half the school at least. So they had a strong, loud voice. So that was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to, not going to necessarily fit in with my fellow right. Americans at this international school. So that was something, but the teachers were great. And I did make a best friend there, which made all the Which difference. I don't think it's necessarily something ten, people tend to think about is that even though you can come from the same place. And I'm saying this in quotes because <laughs> there are layers to your story, but you can come from the same country or at least have the same passport as someone that yep. you can also not like those people <laughs> when you're abroad. It's like right. this cardinal sin. I was like, but I say to people all the time, just because somebody's an American and I'm somewhere and we're both in the same country having this experience <laughs> does not mean we're going to get right. along or like each other like that. Sometimes national bonds are tight, but sometimes, especially as big as a country as the U.S. is, you run into people. Exactly. Let me go. Are you friends with everybody in the country that you're from? If you're living there now, like I will ask our fellow Americans who are listening to this, you you friends with everybody? No, right. <laughs> in your town and neighborhood and city and state? As no, we just went through an election. <laughs> As we have loudly, right. loudly found out <laughs> on social media and maybe in person. Yep. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I think it's it's one of those things where people don't say out loud. But I'm like, I know they got in your nerves. They would have gotten on your nerves if you were back in whatever state you came from. Exactly. So, so then, exactly. OK, and this is this is always a big question I ask for everyone who who then has done their high school years abroad. You chose to come to the U.S. for college, right? Or that was the plan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So let's walk through that happy transition. <laughs> so how was that for you? Where did you go? And let's talk, let's dive deep into that. <laughs> it was exactly what all the TCKs listening expected it to be. It, it's, <laughs> yep. What you're thinking, you're right. You're right, guys. Once again. Yeah. Uh, I went to, um, it, it was sort of a, a, a quiet joke on the American side of the family that I had been groomed, groomed to go to a seven sisters or an Ivy. So I did, I went to Wellesley and very fortunately what saved me was I got cast in plays in principal roles and leading roles. And that saved my behind because it was rough. Um, we arrived to the international student tea or luncheon late. So by the time we got there, everybody had already sort of paired up and trioed up and it was, it was hard to just go up to a small group of people say, hi. 
So I didn't find my, because I thought that'll be easier getting in with the international students, but that, that didn't happen. And then I had a, a roommate who mm-hmm. was from LA and who, I don't care, I put her in the show, um, who, who was incapable of not talking about herself <laughs> incessantly. In, incapable. And that was the first time I came across what I, I now gonna, understand right. as narcissistic personality <laughs> disorder. Right? So I was like, oh, okay. And she was also the most religious person who knew, knew no, ha, had no education in her religion, gotcha. had no theology. So believed whatever the particular minister or whomever was saying to her at any given moment. And it was very inextricably tied Mm. to white supremacy, even though her roommate was a person of color and she never said anything uh, Mm -hmm. racist to me. And she had friends of, you know, it was that, but you'd sort of, she, what she thought was Christian and she said all the time was clean cut, a clean cut Christian. And I think, uh, there's tons of Christians with long hair. I don't really know, you know, and beards. <laughs> um, and, and the more you sort of see what she was reading, I'd, I'd realize, oh, this is, and I had never come across that before. I, I had never come across a practice of Christianity that was tied inextricably uh. to racism. Um, yeah. Of course, there are people of all religions around the world right. who have racist beliefs and right. other kinds of beliefs that are blah, 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 blah. But I didn't, never seen something that was like, and to be a Christian, um, you need to believe this stuff mm. if you're white. So that was horrible, <laughs> you guys. That was yeah. just as, you know, I was just like, what? And then, and then it was Wellesley and I had been um, so psychologically pummeled by sexual harassment, which began in Connecticut. It actually began in sixth and seventh grades for my, because uh, I always feel I need to say this, my rich, white, Christian, American mm. male classmates. Then we moved to North Africa and it comes from right. strange men on the sidewalk. Right. And it's pretty incessant, right. which is also true in other parts of the world. Cause then we'd go to right. Europe for travel, you know, travel. And right. I think, Oh, it'll be better here. It was not, I was right. a teenage girl and it was going to be awful. Um, so going to right. Wellesley was going to be this haven. This, oh. And it was, I was never harassed, but what I discovered was half of all American <laughs> women hate women. Wow. At least they did when I went to college. The, 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 the misogyny is connected to the, patriarchal white supremacist. I'm sorry, I use right. this, I, I, I'm sorry to go there, but it just right. was what it was. It just was what it was. And I, that was awful. Just realizing, oh, half of the students here don't want to be here. This is their like mm. third choice. They wanted to go to Harvard or wherever and they're forced to go to Wellesley and they don't like girls, even though they are girls. And that, that I was like, I give up. So I, I went into a kind of weird half depression during the day. And then I would uh, bloom out of it to go be in rehearsals and performances at night with theater. And then I'd go back to being a zombie during the day. Cause it was, it was too yeah. much, you know, you're new, you're, you're here. College are the years where everybody's going to expand. And this is where you'll meet people with more open minds. Well, by the time right. you're a senior, sure. Right. Not the first year, first year, it's a bunch of first year students who have never lived anywhere except wherever they come from. And it might be yeah. Boston, 20 minutes away. And all these different peoples are a little weird. And they're, you know, they have to go through the whole four years of everything. They have a roommate who has a different religious belief, but they become friends anyway. Or they fall in love with the boy who's Muslim and they're Mormon. Or they discover that they're lesbians. Or, and then by the senior year, they 
have expanded and opened up and learned to accept humans. But you and I were already there by the time we got to college. So we had to wait for people to catch up. Remember that waiting for people to catch up, what oh that felt God. like? Let's think about I how that like felt. I feel like I just went through a dramatic event all through again. Right? I'm sorry. I have dragged but, us but all through this what? again. Okay, so I hate when I hear people say that college is the best time, best years of your life. First of all, I think that's the worst statement ever. Oh. Secondly, what does it say about your life? And third of all, generally speaking, sorry, now this is just me talking about me. Generally speaking, I really didn't like college until the very end. And there was a reason for that. It was because towards the end, that's where I found my tribe and my tribe happened to be very much tied to the African Student Union. So being involved with that, and as you can imagine, there's an international component, there's a cross-cultural component. So even if you are here, your first gen American, you know, because your parents came from Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Cameroon, whatever. That's the first thing that hits me when you're talking. The second thing that hit me that I think is really interesting, especially with that roommate, is that, see, because you had lived in all these other countries and every single one of those countries, Egypt included, has a Christian identity, right? So obviously with the cop, you know, the Coptics, Coptic Christians in Egypt, obviously the Catholicism that I would imagine or Protestantism that would be in, in Latin America. Yeah. Especially yeah. Catholicism and evangelism. But it's really funny. I don't think people, this is, I feel like I have these conversations with folks all the time that the flavor of Christianity, sometimes you get in the U S and the flavor of some religions anyway, is an American flavor depending on where you grew up in the strength. Like, Do you know what I mean? And so it doesn't necessarily, (laughs) what you're saying doesn't necessarily translate for someone who is, and I'm just, I'm just keeping it on a Christian level. Right. And then full disclosure, I identify as Christian, but that, that strain of Christianity does not necessarily translate to someone who's in Panama, who also thinks that they're, do you know what I mean? And so, but the, but the fact that folks don't quite understand that you've got it at a surface level. Like you, you're what, what you're regurgitating actually may have nothing to do with the actual faith is really interesting to me. And I think especially in a country where our identity is really complicated, isn't it? I I think American identity in terms of all the different things we have wrapped up in it, that, that people wouldn't necessarily realize like the stuff she's saying to you that, okay, okay, but that is just reflective of where you came from and what you have been taught. But that's not necessarily reflective of how even people who say they share your faith in other parts of the world will look at it. Yeah. I mean, there's how many Christians are there? Good Lord. It's just like, there's too many. She doesn't represent anything except, but but it was a thing that I had never come across before. And I, so for me, it's like, Oh, that's part of, there's a certain small sect of (laughs) white Americans who call themselves Christian who believe a thing. Right. And I think it's now been proven it's not that small a sect by uh by any stretch of any uh, five years. <laughs> by any stretch of anyone's imagination. <laughs> right. But that it is specific to the US. Like there there may be a version of it elsewhere, but I've never experienced anything like it except here. Or there in the States. Which I yeah. always say for people who've traveled around the world, if you could only see it in one spot, then <laughs> then maybe Maybe it's you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. All, and I say that right. about a lot of things. I'm like, maybe it's just a function of your zip code as opposed to somewhere else. 
So I am going to go ahead and take a break because what I want to unpack is something you've already started talking about and, and, and it's really getting into identity because I am fascinated with your multicultural and multiracial identity, how that <laughs> helped you or didn't help you navigate once you started living in the U.S. So we'll hit that up yeah. after the break. Mental wellness is a big part of a successful expat experience, whether you're going abroad for a short stint or making the move long term. This is why you should visit the International Therapist Directory. It provides online listings of professional mental health therapists who are familiar with the expat as well as the third culture kid life. With over 250 members in more than 35 different countries, this resource lists therapists, counselors, psychologists, and psychiatrists interested in providing culturally sensitive, cross-cultural treatment and care for today's expat community. Visit internationaltherapistdirectory.com to find out more about this global therapy resource. People who've spoken to me have, have known that I've talked about sort of a little bit of my own challenges coming back to the U.S. And in, in my case, when I came back for college, I was a kid who, who left the U.S. as a, a CCK, a minority, right? Moved to a country where I looked like the local population, but mm -hmm, was still mm -hmm. a minority with the TCK identity and class and all that other stuff when you get into it. And then came back after high school and now was a minority after being looking like the majority, but then also expecting to understand the cultural norms because I sound, I've always sounded this American, right? And so I am really curious in your experiences, what was it for you, especially you, you are a different POC, but I love to hear like your perspective of kind of that time coming back to the U.S. and kind of navigating, especially when we talk about race. It was uh, fascinating because I had never before had people come right up to me and they were always Asian Americans saying, are you mixed? And I'd think, cause we were, we were, you know, it's a generational thing and also maybe a, a, an international school thing, but like, it's normal to have parents, not only from two different countries, but who have two entirely different phenotypes. So that's just not very particularly remarkable. So for me at that point, I thought if you talk about it, that is racist. Not that yeah. you can't talk about racism. You can always talk about racism, but you, but if you are asking someone about their racial background and especially the word mixed, I had a huge problem with for decades. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not a recipe. Yeah. So, and also I, I was so aware of how the, this, the Asian American students, Pacific Islander American students were <sighs> highly aware of race a lot. And the ones I in knew, what way? Um, the I'm American say, ones. In what way? Like at Wesleyan, uh, for our listeners, I actually ended up transferring uh, to Wesleyan and graduating from there just to confuse you. Um, but uh, I had a, I ripped out a picture of a model in those legs, no, exactly Hanes legs, <laughs> nylon. Um, and she was so glamorous. I, I would put up pictures that like I, inspired me and she was absolutely the most glamorous person. I was like, I want to grow up mm -hmm. to look like that. And she was stunningly beautiful and Asian. And so one of the, dorm mates across the way would remark like, Oh, she's, she's Asian. And look at me. And she was Asian. And I would like, so, 
And at the time I didn't have the courage or words or maturity or anything to say, why do you keep <laughs> commenting on it and staring at me? Like, is it because you don't know I'm Asian, so you think something weird as fetishy is going on? Or is it because you know I'm at least partially Asian and you don't put up pictures of Asian people because you've been raised in this country and that would make you stand out too much and you don't know why I'm making myself that? Like, I just got a picture of a very glamorous woman. Can, can it just be a picture of a glamorous woman? Oh, my God. And that kind of thing, just like comments like that from people and being asked, are you mixed? And, and just thinking, what happens? That was the thing in the States. Whenever mm -hmm. I was in the States, the most common question was, what are you? And and I, I'm going to quote myself an alien citizen saying, are they going to treat me differently depending on the answer? And the only people who are as horrified by that very notion as I am are people who grew up outside the U.S. or in multicultural societies who know, yeah. you know you treat someone well, period, because they're a human. But the average <laughs> American is like, yeah, of course. Like, why are you asking that question? I don't yeah. understand why you look so horrified. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, so uh, it was, it was weird that way. Um, and also because I hadn't lived in the mm -hmm. States for at least five, six years mm. and I had amnesia. So I had forgotten how in New Canaan, when I was little, 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 that's when I first came across, you know, people doing things yeah. with their eyes and saying, Chinese, Japanese, what are you? And then coming back in middle school and the what are you question and the particular level of microaggressions that were just <laughs> essentially just meanness. It was just meanness that I noticed was a particularly hostile meanness that the other kids weren't experiencing. They were all experiencing meanness because apparently in Westport right. at that time, if you were in middle school, you were mean as heck. <laughs> at least 90% of the student body was, wow, going out of their way. But I could tell that I was getting an extra dose. And then yeah. I forgot all about that. You go off to Morocco and Egypt and you live your life and five, six years at that age is, you know, 30 <laughs> compared to an adult. And also it was college. So as we were saying earlier, it's going to be expansive and everybody by then has gotten over all that stuff. Well, no. So... I tried joining um, the Latino club at Wesleyan and realizing instantly, nope, this isn't going to work. Um, um, I, you know, there was a majority of students who had grown up in the States um, and the ones who were from countries like Costa Rica um, were in yeah. the minority and sort of quiet. And I didn't have the courage at the time to be vocal. I was just like, I, no, mm. I just want to feel comfortable. And then um, I didn't even, actually I did try, uh, I, uh, joining an Asian American uh, theater troupe and they were so, uh, rejecting. I realized I must not look Asian enough anymore because hmm. it wasn't even about me acting. They didn't want me to audition. And again, I was so young and not able at that time. People didn't talk about it the way they do now to say, I just, you know, I'm Chinese on my dad's side. But not culturally. So if you need me to be culturally Asian in any way, I will fail you. But if you need that. me just to be of Asian descent, I really am. You know, and just like you, I've been asked Chinese, Japanese. We all went through it. I am just like you in that way. <laughs> that way, you too have been offended and have that offensive yeah. thing said to you. I and I and I and I'm, I'm even wondering if this question even applies to you. I, I mean, I've had this thoughts with folks who are first generation African, like, okay. And that, that the term itself is, 
is really witchy, right? <laughs> like, but everyone just humor me for a moment. Like, but those who are, um, whose parents are African of some nationality and they were born here or they came here as a young age. And, and sometimes the tension that there can be because of these cultural boxes, right? But then I realized, I don't even know if it's because of cultural boxes. I think it's because we, the way we talk about race in this country so much and how much we tie identity to race and expectations to race that, that even groups where, and I'm saying this loosely, they kind of sort of share the same physical characteristics can still look at each other as not not with suspicion but there's still this this yeah. i mean ten, ten, tension's the word i'm going to use right yeah. because i there was a podcast i i was listening to i really like it i think it comes out of canada and they are all first gen asian mm-hmm. i forgot the name of it and and just sort of talking about the nuances between there's a great episode i and i i got to find that podcast and I, I don't know if you listen to it but it this great episode where they had someone on who was born in Korea, but came to Canada at a certain age. And just the the drama and the trauma he went through yeah. as being Korean and being picked on the most by, by yes. like oh, yeah. Canadian Asians. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like he was, t- I was driving somewhere and I was just like, this is so obnoxious. Like, yeah. but just the, 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 drama of it all and they're young i mean they're well young these these folks are like in their 20s right so it was really actually really interesting kind of hearing their experiences but i i just wonder about that too when it's like you're not sometimes you're not whatever your identity enough for one group exactly or you're or you're too you're too much for another group yep and i i don't know if you ever kind of experienced that yeah, I, I remember thinking, okay, I'll join, like I said, and and feeling, no, I'm I'm not the same kind of Latinx person. The the, the term Latinx didn't exist back then. I, I'm right. I'm not American born and raised. That's its own experience. And if you're Dominican, it's yes. different from if you're Puerto Rican, it's different from if you're of Mexican descent, because your parents and families have different uh, customs. Yeah. So so when I say Guatemalan, I mean Guatemala. I mean right. there in the city, right. in the middle, in zone one of the center of the city is what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. not talking about growing up in a part of New York where there is an enclave or a part of L.A. This um, yeah. this whole other thing. And even then, I didn't grow up there. We just went back for Christmas all the time. So I, I we maintained a good uh, emotional connection. But and then. Asian Americans also American born or moved when they were a year old or whatever. They're all American in a way that they have not been allowed to claim by the frankly racist culture, but they're as American as any American, you know, and also the whole notion, if it's a melting pot, which we know it's not, but if it's going to keep claiming that, then it really needs to stop insisting that in order to truly be American, you have to grow up eating sandwiches for lunch and nothing else. I hate can I, (laughs) I could have one big podcast called side, like side tangents. Oh, you can count on me. Have you noticed by now? Everybody listens. What the hell is she talking about? What is happening? It doesn't matter. I have a roadmap in the show notes. Uh, So so I didn't grow up. I said this in a different episode. I like, I didn't grow up eating sandwiches as for like, that's my mother's Cameroonian. Like that's not a thing. Even to this day, I don't consider a sandwich a meal. Like that is not 
a meal. And the great irony is my Guatemalan father adores sandwiches and he can eat a ham sandwich every day of his life. (laughs) No. I mean, you can make an argument about a hamburger, but still my body is like, is it real? I know it's a sandwich. Whatever. But but you're right. This being able to claim these identities and claim it in a in a safe way. And I feel that they're it creates this unnecessary tension for number one, this question of wait, who are you? Where are you from? Right. And so, and that question, you can catch that question from anyone. That's not even (laughs) white, black, whatever, like depending on who you are, you can catch that question. Someone could look me the same shade as you and you catch that question because they're like, you're not like the others. I want to put you in a a box. And so I'm assuming then just in the way that you're presenting that people probably had assumptions about who you are or where you came from. And I, I, I'm going to ask, and I probably already know the answer, but I'm assuming that people probably just came up to you and just assumed you were X and said it. Did they? Uh, no, I really did get, what are you uh, for a long time. And then college was when they finally decided she's Asian E Asian ish. <laughs> Um, but still not enough to be, you know, it was still like, are you mixed? Right. And then the sad thing is somebody, I, I was there the the year one of my fellow students at Wesleyan started a lunch, just a, you know, brown bag lunch once a week, once a month, something like that for kids who are multiracial or mixed race or biracial or multi, you know, any term you want to use is fine with me. I don't care anymore. Um, and I remember seeing that and thinking, no. I remember seeing it and thinking, and also thinking, no, no, Mm. I'm already as unusual and an outsider as I am capable of handling. And I'm having a good time at Wesleyan and I have friends here. And if I go to that lunch and someone asks and says, who is that group of people you were with? I don't Mm want to see the look on their face. If they, if I tell them and they look quizzical or they look, if their eyes glaze over or if they look, a little bit mm, perturbed or and who why maybe nobody would have but mm-hmm. i remember at the time I was thinking i can't take one more way in which i'm told by anybody and especially, especially not my friends that that's weird and i don't understand you in that context and mm-hmm. either you have to explain yourself to me in detail or i don't ever want to know about it either way it just doesn't feel good so at the time mm-hmm. I, I i avoided it now i'm like oh you idiot that would have been great and I Might bet your people out of, yeah. So, you know, they, we would have talked about all the stuff and everybody would be like, yep. And then all the twin things that we experienced differently. And that would have been cool. Cause we just accept I I will never argue with anyone about their experience. You tell me what it is. I believe you. Yeah. And I bet there might've been one TCK, right. Or there would have been yeah, someone whose mom sure. or dad, they would, they were half one generation, right. They're like half yeah. 12th generation and half first generation. And that would have been interesting too. Yeah. So, I mean, but he, and even the question, what are you? I mean, there are two annoying questions. What are you? Which I can imagine. Right. A hedgehog. <laughs> right? I mean, I, at this point, I feel like you should just throw out the most random, like. A cactus plant. <laughs> right. But it's either what are you or where are you from? Yeah. Same thing. They're twins, right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> and, and because somehow in a country that is completely the opposite of homogenous. Right. <laughs> we have still not figured out that people can come and be American. Yep. Or not. 
and come with all shades and stripes and like if there's ever a country where it should make sense that we shouldn't even be asking that question it's literally the one that was founded not you know it's it's not like we are i mean who am i trying to pick up well plenty of countries in Africa, but like, it's not like we're like Germany or somewhere where there, there were people groups and their tribes or whatever, literally people yep. with the exception, of course, of the Native Americans came from somewhere else. So why we still ask these questions is something that I've, I'm like, it's something in our American DNA, which we have to address because it doesn't come from a good place. It doesn't come yeah. from a good place. No, it I really mean, it's doesn't. like, it's why it's like there seems to be maybe a reckoning happening ish of the life in the last, <laughs> what would how we say it? 11 months. Uh, yeah. and we'll see how long it lasts. And it feels like people are like, Oh, it's going to last. Cause we're, we're, we're done. But it's just like, yeah, I think that was the hardest part about being American because my parents love the USA. My mom was Mm -hmm. born and raised here and she was a military brat first for like until she was like 10. And then her dad wasn't in the army anymore, but they moved and moved and moved. She grew up in like something like I always forget. It's like 12 states. And she went to I don't know how many schools. And um, so she's seen the country. Right. But she was also raised with a pride and 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 very progressive and my or she's progressive and my dad loves being a naturalized citizen the moment he Mm -hmm. arrived like within a month of living in the states going to um, college here he realized oh these are my people because americans are blunt they won't say me casa es tu casa no it's not (laughs) (laughs) whereas latinos did my my dad and that's not really my dad's personality and he's like don't say the flowery thing just get to the it's point. very romance language. The French it are the is. same way. It's, it's same, like, right? get you know? to the point. You know, and it's rude to get to the point, right? You really right. got to, there's got to be a lot of buffer, right? My massage, dad's like, I don't have time. I, I don't have the patience. <laughs> my dad. So, so they really love the USA and they, they instilled in us, like it is, it is the greatest experiment that the human species has ever blah, 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 blah. So I, we were like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then every time we lived here, I think something's not matching up at <laughs> all. The aspiration <laughs> and the realities are not dating each other. Like they need to like date. Exactly. So that they can marry. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you, I, and that, that's been the, and that's the, the thing for me. It was like, there are million, there's so many things to love about the United States of America, but the thing that's hard about any culture, and I think this is true for any culture and it just, they, they just have different stories, but it's just the, the denial of certain truths that means hypocrisy mm-hmm. and it's hot. So you feel like you're being gaslighted and like the people are gaslighting themselves. And that's right. true. I swear in any country I've ever lived in, you know, observing like, Hmm, you say this, but you're doing something else. Right. And I don't have the emotional investment in countries in which I don't have, I wasn't born there. I don't have a parent who's from there and I don't have the passport. So I can look at that in other countries and think, "Hmm, yeah, I guess that's what people do. But when it's my two (laughs) countries, it's like people get it together. You get it together. Come on. (laughs) I just have higher expectations. Like, come on. Uh, Let's everybody catch up and let's, you know. I mean, I would imagine with parents, it's like that with your child, right? You see other people's children. You're like, oh, that's a train wreck, but it's not my train wreck. And then then this this wonderful bundle of joy is yours. And you're like. I guess I have to deal with it because yep. it lives in my own household. That's no, I totally get metaphor. that. <laughs> I am I am the metaphor queen. Honestly, I have a metaphor for all seasons. Fantastic, fantastic. Right. That over there it's, is fine, but in my house, oh no. Right. Well, 
I mean, but let's think about it. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I have definitely seen things where family members were totally cool. Right. Not in their house. They're like, do you do what, do whatever. And then the idea rolls into their household, not on my wall. <laughs> yep. Yes. So true. So I true. mean, there's so many things you can think of, even as a kid where your parents were probably like, okay, whatever, until it was you. And then they're like, no. Yep. No. And also so, like meeting friends' parents, like no, having her just little, because I remember as TCKs, it was, it was a betrayal to speak negatively about one's parents, at least for my generation. But you maybe yeah. you'd hear a little bit from the friend about like, the mom or the dad and think, oh, okay, it's going to be a tough character. And then you meet them and they were charming. They right? were wonderful and warm and like, what is she talking about? And like, you just don't know. Just right, don't know. right. No, I, I mean, I, it is that tension though, because I think for most TCKs, they tend to spot very quickly what's wrong with their passport country. Right. And yep. then, I, but then I think what gets hard is that if you haven't lived in it in a while, then it just becomes, if you, if you haven't learned that impulse control where it's like, you don't say everything that's coming immediately out of your mouth, then it's sort of like, people are like, well, you don't even live here or you haven't yeah. been here for a long time. Like what yeah. gives you the authority? You've been around the planet. Yeah. Like there's so many ways you can slice and dice that because yeah. people feel like, you don't have the standing, yep. even though, oh my God, we can see that the pig has been painted blue, y'all. Like, I, right. why are we pretending like this right. pig is right. not? You didn't see that? Because yep. I saw it. Yep. But because people take offense, right? Because you're attacking. Anytime you're you're I trying know. to address or talk yeah. about something, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially when it's like close to them, right? Yep. People feel like, oh, it's an attack on who they are as a person. Now, Here's the problem. Sometimes there are things that are part of you that just need to be removed. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to hurt. Yep. Like before you pop off and they're like, you're attacking me. Can we come to a place right. of understanding? In fact, <laughs> right. I, I, if I'm honest, that's how I test my closest friends. Like, can they handle me saying blankety blank negative thing about the USA? Can they handle mm. me saying blankety blank negative thing about Americans? Can they handle it? Like, are they going to, mm. because and I have to be careful because there are there have been times when they've been like, and <laughs> right, <It's> like, <laughs> one minute here, Liang. Right. So it was like, okay, okay, but but uh, if I can't, if if we all have to be like, oh, it's just wonderful, and 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 I can say it because I grew up here every single year of my life, but you can't say it because you weren't here in middle school. Like, no, I've been here a long time, long and I'm paying yeah. my taxes. So guess what? <laughs> <laughs> so guess what? I too have a voice. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I, I think it's interesting to um, when you can't handle criticism because yeah. then we create these silos, right? And yeah. and 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 also we you tend to just sort of lock down and don't even accept that maybe other experiences are valid yeah. or other experiences are different, yeah. and and how do you grow from that? To be honest, that's, that's the part that I think makes me nervous when, and trust me, I feel this way about not just the U S I feel this way about quite a few countries, yep. but I, I have kind of an emotional tie. I'm sort of looking at them going, I want us to be amazing, but how yeah. are we going to be amazing if yeah. we, if we are just kind of shutting down. And so I know for a very long time, and I said this off the air, you had a podcast that was launched in 2008 and I had it in my notes. I was like, that's like the dark ages of podcasting. Because I think a lot of people didn't even know. So let's talk a little bit about Happa Happy Hour. I said it right. I got yep, all the yep. ages. Happy okay, Happy good. 
Um, for those who don't know, what does HAPA mean? What, what, is, what does that term mean? And, and what was kind of the vision behind that podcast? It's a Hawaiian term that means half or partial. And it used to be an epithet against anyone who was, it was used as a shortened way of saying HAPA Haoli. And mm-hmm. Haoli means foreigner. And back in the day, that really just meant white. And you wanted to be fully native Hawaiian. So if you were Hapa Haole, you were half foreign and not half white. It was rough. And then yeah. it just morphed the way terms morph. And over time, it meant half Native Hawaiian. And then mm-hmm. it meant half Asian or Pacific Islander. And that's kind <laughs> of what's stuck. And the other half or part doesn't matter. White, black, Middle Eastern, indigenous, blah, 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 they don't care. And then it became even more inclusive. Like there are people who will say Barack Obama is Hapa because he's black and white. Mm. But mostly when you hear the term Hapa, they're, what they're saying is that they're part Asian and or Pacific Islander. Um, and you can also be like half Japanese American and half Korean American and they'll call you Hapa too. It really mm-hmm. depends. But the most common term is just partially Asian or Pacific Islander. And there was controversy around the term about 10 or so more years ago because it was considered to have been appropriated from Native Hawaiian. Like, don't use a term without our permission. Mm-hmm. But then there was a counter argument against it saying, yes, but the word hapa actually is the word half in English spoken originally with a, a dialect. So it was originally the English word. Then it became the Hawaiian. Blah, 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 blah. So when when our podcast came out in 2008, the, the, the controversy hadn't, if it was brewing, we didn't know about it. And my two co-hosts, uh, one is uh, Alaskan mm-hmm. of Filipino and uh, European American descent, mm-hmm. and the other is Hawaiian of Hawaiian and Chinese and European American descent. Mm-hmm. And she blessed the term. So mm-hmm. the other two of us were like, okay. And the person who got the idea for the podcast is Rena Heinrich because we were, uh, it's Rena Heinrich and uh, Hiva Chow Elms and me. Mm-hmm. And, and back then she was Millie Chow. Um, and we were having, we're, st- we're sitting around having drinks, talking about stuff. And we were, I was, I was ranting as I do. If you've ever listened to that podcast, you know, yeah. there is always a moment where I rant. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I was ranting about someone we knew in common and how like they were so ignorant about any part of the world that wasn't the U S and even about the U S even though they grew up there and, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah, and, and how entitled they were. And I was just going on and Rena was looking at me and said, I think we should have a podcast. Because I don't know that many people who talk the way we do together about stuff. Yeah. And uh, and that's how it began. And it's, uh, I think, an interesting listen for TCKs because I'm a TCK. So that keeps coming up. It just right. keeps coming up. Right. Yep. So, I, you know, I listened to a couple of episodes and I, because I'm just interested in people in general, I was really fascinated, especially because there is a TCK element, which I get. There is a POC element, which I get, <laughs> but, but I think even because all of you have an Asian identity and obviously all of you, and by you kind of listing out the ethnicities and the identities that there's a multiracial identity. I think it was really fascinating for me as someone who doesn't share that identity to sort of hear what the nuances of those experiences are, because both all of you are based in the U.S. and so. What was sort of the reception? Because I would imagine back in 2008, as you know, there were not, first of all, 
<laughs> I, you know, I'm thinking podcasts. I'm thinking a POC led podcast. I'm thinking like a female led POC podcast. I'm thinking about a podcast with women who had an Asian multiracial identity. What what was sort of the reception to the podcast in, the, in its during its run? It was really quite warm. We really had no idea who was going to listen, but um, people did. And we just always had, we never had a huge listenership, but we mm-hmm. had a steady, constant listenership. And I, I have to give a shout out to Fanchon Cox and Heidi Duro because they had this podcast that they did every single week, rain or shine for years called Mixed mm-hmm. Chicks Chat. And they both have a white mom and a black dad, um, but from yeah. different countries. And... Uh, they were the first podcast I'd ever listened to that ever mm-hmm. even talked about that stuff. And they, they were considered like the, the pilgrims of it, the pioneers of it. Um, so I don't know that we would have done it if there was something like it didn't already exist, but uh, see, and then I go on a tangent and I've lost the <laughs> so question. I, basically you said the reaction was warm and, and I, so yes. I, I guess I kind of want to follow up on that. I always ask folks because I get asked all the time. So it's fair that I ask other people. <laughs> POCs, like people ask me why did I start the black, the black expat, right? Because, and I have to go into this whole mm-hmm. spiel about the nuances of being black and living abroad. In, in the case of your, if you're in the case of your podcast, what were some of the nuances and some of the topics that maybe rose to the top that maybe the average American or the average non multiracial person would have never even considered? Like, what are the things that you felt like you as women were facing yeah. and that maybe other people wouldn't even consider. Yeah. I, I think the major thing that comes to mind is because they both were like, yes, when I mentioned it, uh, and I think it was in the very first episode that when you, when people ask you what your ethnic background is, racial background is, and you tell them, they argue. <laughs> yeah, I heard that episode. <laughs> they literally argue. No, 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 you're not. No, I'm sorry, Amanda, but you're clearly... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> not black or not Cameroonian or not American or not what Nope. Nope. And I've just right. mentioned like nationality and stuff too, but, but like, I, and I don't, I've just, I'm just <laughs> baffled by that. Like, why would I lie? And what, and why do you need to tell me? No, you look. And then they tell you whatever they've decided at that given moment. And they really need you to look into that. They really need you to look into your ancestry because you look so much like, and it's like, man, I don't care (laughs) who you think I look like, you know, and I was, I'm always, that hasn't happened in a while. Um, Well, because of late people just think I look white. So that's its own (laughs) thing. So now people are like, what's your last name? Liang. And they literally would go, Oh, 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 oh," for like 30 seconds. Is it, are they, um, this is a literal thing that is literally happening. Are they thinking to, to themselves either, oh my gosh, I didn't realize she was Asian, or oh my gosh, she's married to an Asian man? Uh, no, the oh, 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 I know for, uh, uh, I know that person was like, but no, I've decided you're white. <laughs> and another person at that same event was like, oh, you married Chinese? <laughs> you married Chinese. Like, okay. No, I am Chinese. And he, I mean, he saved himself fast. He was like, oh, it's because I married Chinese. And this was a white man. Like, oh, okay. But it was just interesting how he, whoo, he, he saved himself. Because he probably said a lot of hot trash in the past and has worked that muscle on how to like pivot. Right, right. It was like, oh, you're going to, I'm going to get to talk to you about being married to which, but I can't talk to you about being married to a Chinese person. (laughs) Wow. Whoops. Okay. So, but yeah, it was, that's the thing. It's just the being, if you are, 
if people have determined that you look the way you like the thing you say you are, like the quote unquote race you say you are, then you are never argued with, are you? But if they've determined that you don't, then they need you to know. And they really, I think you don't really know all you need to know about your I mean, past. <laughs> no, really, trust me. We've got a family tree. It I, is I know. Kind of, and I'm and I'm 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 being presumptuous here because this could be a global thing. But at least I know with Americans, we are very good about being loud <laughs> and we're very good about being defiant. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are also things that have helped build the country. So let, let us and being consistent. Right. The things I know. that make this country amazing are also the things that you're like, yep. oh, my God, shut up for a moment and listen. Right. Which right. is true. Of so people. like the defiance <laughs> and the insistence and this is just going to be what it is. Built a country. <laughs> OK, yep, but it yep. doesn't work true. on true. individual people. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It just that's I think that's how you can actually measure entitlement mm. presumption. When someone presumes to tell you what they've decided your right. identity is. In any form, whether it's racial or national or religious or sexual identity or gender identity, when they feel they have every right to let you know right. how wrong you are. <laughs> Sorry. Like, I don't know how you do that. Because I've never, I have met, like anyone, I've met people who I thought were um, years ago, now I've gotten smarter about it, but I met uh, uh, women and men who I thought were absolutely Latino and found out that they were black mom or dad and Asian mom or dad. Um, and they just happen to look like my cousins. Man. No, I have determined your Nicaraguan. Right. Because I was there. And you look just like... I mean, like, I, mean I met a woman who I thought she was, I thought she was black. But then I think everybody's black. But I thought she was totally black. And it turned out she was Malaysian. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I... It never occurred to me to to sort of just argue with her about what she was. And so the fact that that people will will fight with folks is just amazing to me because I I would never do that. And so yeah, I I'm not surprised but yet it's still kind of horrifying watching it play out in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. And I used to be, you know, that's the thing as I remember I lived in Manhattan, uh, my parents were there for a couple of years, but I was there like in the summer after mm-hmm. graduating from college, before moving to LA, and random strangers would say, you Vietnamese? And they would look about the age of, of a vet, right? So I'd understand what I was being asked, but I'd say, no. And <laughs> I wouldn't right, I go on because this is a total stranger. <laughs> and I don't feel the need to <laughs> like, explain. Why, why what, I-, <laughs> I, don't feel like, I don't feel like I owe you anything. But then they'd, they'd say, oh, Japanese. And I'd say no. And then they'd look at me and then they'd do the sort of like, bro, you should stop guessing. <laughs> And then they'd be like, well, what are you? Because, well, yeah, stop guessing. Like, why do you feel, okay, okay, I'm, I'm stuck on the subway. This is how this is going to go. And then I'd say Chinese. And then they'd say, no. Nah. You went through maybe all of Southeast Asia, including countries that maybe you wouldn't have been at the tip of your tongue. And then the one you're like, but no. The one that's the most populous, which right. actually should make sense. And also, exactly. <laughs> thank you, Just Amanda. As a... Thank you. Literally the most populated nation in the world that has the most Asian phenotypes that can exist on our planet. Chinese look like everything. We look like, oh my, exactly. Just think statistics. Do the math. (laughs) 
Like it's the first thing you would expect. I mean, no, this is not the same. People have heard me say this. I mean, I when I travel around the world, no one ever thinks I'm American, <laughs> ever. For a, for, for right. reasons, oh, no one ever thinks I'm American. even. Oh my god! <laughs> never, never. Told a story. I, I was in Abu Dhabi somewhere on a trip, and oh, it was a, it was a it was a you know what it was it was a desert safari. <laughs> German couple was in the middle of the car. I was in the front, drunk Australians in the back. Definitely told the story on this podcast before, but the German couple thought that the Australians were American. First of all, they had heavy, thick (laughs) Australian. Mm. They were, they were also hungover, but they had heavy, Australian accents, like Australian accents. And I'm sitting there going, how did you think they were American? And then they were like, oh, you are American. Cause I'm now loud and and freaking out in the front seat. But I, I just had people be like, you're American. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) but I know what you were expecting. It wasn't this. You weren't expecting this, but here it is. So I'm so grateful for you for telling me this because in Egypt, in a cab, I'd be asked, where are you from? And I, I stopped saying the USA because they'd look at me like, because quite often right. Egyptians thought I was Egyptian or okay. Americans thought I was Moroccan and just, and just Westernized. So they'd ask and then I'd say I'm the USA and they'd, and then, and I, <laughs> and they'd almost always argue. Um, and I finally started saying Guatemala, which they did not argue with. And they knew so much more about the politics and the history of Guatemala than any American ever met. And even the, the, and, and even than I, the Guatemalan, I was like, wow, Egyptians are like, Egyptian cabbies are like, they have, they are red. They are well read. But I began to realize, oh, they've only seen American TV shows, which white. are 99.99999% white back in the day. Um, and that is what an American is. But I always thought, well, I bet African-American and black Americans aren't arguing with. But now I know. No, they're <laughs> totally. Are, oh, my gosh. they're to- And even when I talk to my expats now, depending on where they are, they're totally argued with. Like they're not argued with depending on where they are in Africa. It's a little funky because <laughs> because then you get into because people are so identified by tribes and ethnic groups that sometimes they may say a black uh-huh. American uh-huh. and it's like, where are your people from? And then first, they may not think they're American. They just think you're not from here, but you can be from, right? Right, So that's that. Right, But then there are other parts of the world where they very clearly, people are just like, people are assuming I'm from sub-Saharan Africa somewhere and I'm saying I'm American. And then for the ones that it's really tricky for are Black folks who are from the Caribbean because that just blows people's minds, right? So like, so like they... (laughs) If you say you're from the African continent, they've got you. They can sort of work out this West. Like they can kind of sort of work out the U.S. You might have to argue a little bit. Sometimes they're very confused if you say you're Canadian because nobody ever thinks about black Canadians, including black Americans. So like black Canadians probably get it the worst. But then my folks have said, yeah, I'm from the Dominican Republic. I'm from Jamaica. I'm from Haiti. And people are like, (laughs) what (laughs) like it's not so yeah Yeah. no it is even to this day and i'm telling you you know me i'm having these conversations up until like last week it it is still even with beyonce (laughs) and everybody else well beyonce is lighter but even with all the all the folks we're seeing nah people still don't associate necessarily being black with from the west not really Wow. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You would, you would yeah. think with the advent of at least hip hop, but, but no. Exactly. It's like, what does it take? No. Be, and, and especially I, I think then when you get into colorism, because that's a whole nother thing in terms of what you see mm-hmm. in media, 
I think the darker you are, mm -hmm. people don't, because you can say this for a lot of groups, the darker you are, you don't necessarily see yourself on TV. Oh yeah. Across the globe, across the globe. And I know there've been challenges with some of the folks I know who've lived in the Middle East where they have been mistaken as black women as prostitutes. That's a whole nother story. And oh, so, boy. and so, yeah. and so, so yeah, it's not that. What are you question and who are you? takes on a different flavor once you once you start to leave the western i guess from the u.s and it looks almost just as hostile in other places but but the thing that i that i as i was listening to your podcast and i and i know as with the work that you've done with alien citizen is that you seem to have taken all these experiences and channeled them into the arts right like yeah. taken all yeah. these different threads and so where did the vision for your play come up? Like when I was in my 20s, I was telling the story of, of the roommate, that first roommate, um, and to a, a former professor who was like, you need to do, you need to do a one-woman show just based on this person because this is mm -hmm. amazing. And then it just sort of planted the seed. And I always kind of had this feeling that I was going to be one of those actors who really was going to have to create her th own thing to have the kind of career that took me around the world that I wanted, but I didn't want to be, I was like, no, just cast me in a movie that is being shot in Prague or Hong Kong and yeah. be done with it. And then that happens to like movie stars. <laughs> and then there's the rest of the other 99.9% .9 of us. And then, uh, my brother told me about the call for essays for the anthology writing out of limbo. And I had been thinking and thinking about it. And I had friends who were saying, Oh, let's do one woman shows and we'll direct each other. And that kind of fell through, but the, the seed was kind of growing. And I thought if I write, a, an essay about creating a solo show, it will force me to create the solo show. So that's how it happened. It began with that. And then the need to tell the story was, I, I'm sure so many people listening will understand. It's just, you, we don't see ourselves and we don't, yeah. you're not seeing us in the movies. You're not seeing us on stage much. I don't say never, but not enough. Yeah. Um, and we know we're not the only ones because yeah. there's international schools all over the world. Yeah. So, um, I finally realized my need to tell it was greater than my fear about telling it. And I was asked, are you from the w Midwest? One time too many, because I've never lived in the Midwest or in USA. And it, like, I understand we all adapt and assimilate without knowing it. I was like, wow, <laughs> I have, I have gone so far overboard without knowing it. If you're asking me that question, yeah. I, like where in the Midwest are you even thinking? Like, I, so anyway, <laughs> I, I've been since I've visited. It's lovely. Um, but, uh, <laughs> never lived there. So I just started working on it and getting more stubborn about realizing I'm, I'm not going to make this an educational experience. It is educational, I'm told, but I'm not going to make it that. I'm not here to explain to people where in the world Morocco is. Yeah. Everybody gets to look that up if yeah. they don't know. I'm just going to give my perspective at that age and my perspective at that age and, and, and include moments when I'm the most flawed person in the play. Because that's important if you're ever going to do memoir, guys, if you're going to do autobiographical storytelling and you're worried about hurting people or becoming across as too self-indulgent, make yourself the most flawed person in the story mm. and you'll be forgiven. <laughs> um, because also that's now a prismatic true story. Because think, think of the things you've read or seen where the person's just a 24 hours, 24 seven adorable victim. Really? Yeah. If they're not a newborn, then I don't believe it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't believe it. It's like, no, at some point you were rude to your mom. You were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at some point something happened, you know, where you took a bad mood out on somebody else, like a sibling or something. I don't know. Yeah. So um 
that, and that was a saving grace. It was just as uh, cathartic and therapeutic working on it as you'd expect. I didn't do it for that reason. I told myself, but it was the most self-healing, self-validating thing I've ever done because I was able to think, well, even somebody will resonate with this. Yeah. Somebody will. And it's me looking back and trying to figure things out and why I turned out the way I did and not forgetting Mm. my childhood and adolescence because I was realizing I was forgetting stuff because I'd lived in the state so long and it was like, and just sort of evanescing. But once I started with one memory and then the next memory, it just opens a channel and pretty soon you have trouble writing it all down and getting it in your recording it and all this stuff. Cause so many memories come flooding back. So that was great to learn. And then it did resonate for people with TCKs and multiracial people, but also people who spoke one language looked just like everybody else in their neighborhood and never moved. And yeah. they have everybody, everybody, everybody has felt like an outsider. Everybody. If even only 30 seconds, if, if it only happened once for 30 seconds, they remember that Yeah, because <laughs> it was hard because yeah. they weren't used to it. Like everybody's felt it at some point. So, yeah. Um, I, I, there's a piece I'm working on that I'm writing for a publication, which let's see if I <laughs> meet the deadline. Actually, I don't, it'll happen. But one of the things that I as you were talking, I was thinking about how as a kid I loved musicals, and I'll probably break this in this essay. Yeah, me too. And not the best of 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 the musicals out there, but I remember so much as a kid, maybe when I got older, it was a Gene Kelly one called Bridgetoon. And it was basically mm-hmm. the idea oh, yeah. where every on like it. 100 years this town would be there and then yep. it would disappear. And that's often how I thought about the TCK experience sometimes where these memories sort of reside in your brain at a certain time, a certain period with a certain permutation of people. But even if you were to go back to that, it doesn't matter what the locale is. It's not like for folks who go back to their hometown and there's someone that remembers their grandma or they remember other people. It's like this place that exists magically in your mind. But even if you were to go back, those permutations of people would never happen again because it was just a moment in time. And so I think that even listening and, and, and you talking about your play kind of reminds me of why we document what we do, whether we have these podcasts, whether we have these plays, whether we're writing, whether we're, yeah. you know, we're creating is because it's to say we were here. These were the experiences and they're valid. And absolutely. And, and that, oh, my God, Brigadoon. Now, because you mentioned it, I'm like, maybe that's why I loved it so much. That Remember in the mist and there it yeah. be magically again. Yeah. It was so oh my impactful. God. Yeah. No, it is. I, it's not even one of my top 10 favorite musicals. Honestly, no, I love musicals. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? It's, but it, it only became that important to me the older I got, actually. And I was like, why am I remembering this? Yeah, I better work that into that essay. So you guys, I guess you guys kind of heard it early. <laughs> I kind of heard it early. No, I know how the essay is going to work out. But it, if in case you read the essay and they go, she was talking about that in the podcast. But I can't wait. Oh, my gosh. Now there's pressure to write it. There, well, there's already pressure to write uh, it. There, yes, I'm OK, Amanda. <laughs> oh my gosh. What's your deadline? Mm-hmm. Two weeks. Oh, oh, very good. I got time. All right. Before I cough on on air anyway this is this is real life so we, we we tend to keep all the stuff going on but before we before we transition um i like to ask three questions and i okay because 
you're just as bad as tangents as I am. <laughs> this might take longer than I'm it so needs terrible. to. No, I apologize no, to everybody. No, no, you're not even the worst. <laughs> the worst. At this point, oh, I, I think know. I've decided if you're listening to this podcast, you already know you're committed for like 90 minutes. So it's a great podcast. I'm so honored to be on it. I, I, I've only heard the first episode and I was riveted. Just loved it. So I'm going to listen to all of them now. Oh my God. Is that the one with Dana? Yes. <laughs> was it the it one? Was. It might have been Dana. Yep. We were talking about identity. It only gets crazier from, <laughs> from there. So happy, happy listening. And that's a great plug. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, really do it, you guys. You definitely really should listen. But all right. Ugh, this podcast. Anyway. And I think that was one of the shorter ones. That's the same. And you got so much in. It's just, I felt like I was there in the room with you. It was amazing. That's, but I, I try. I truly try, you guys. I try to make this a little bit shorter. And then I realize I have so many questions and you guys are all so fascinating that I'm just like, well, you can pause it and come back. That's why it's a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I do that with the long, I, the Brené Brown one. I'll listen to half and then another half later. Right. No, it's I, all good. I do the same. Uh, totally. But all right. First question. Of everywhere you've lived so far, where would you live again? I would consider... Panama again because I was so happy there but you know right now Costa Rica because I'm here now and I've seen my parents for the first time in 17 months and it's beautiful and my parents are here <laughs> it's been a long time oh my God. Costa Rica. <laughs> and they're great with uh their they have a great uh health system although they're right now and bluntly they're in COVID hell right now right but it's not the minister of health's fault they have been phenomenal it's young folks of course and uh you know this pandemic but uh, yeah, Costa Rica. Man. All right. Of all the creative mediums that you have, have used thus far, which has been your favorite platform? Stage, theater. Yeah, I'm a theater rat and um, I feel absolutely 100% at home. It is my natural habitat, any stage in the world. And that I learned that by taking the show around the world and being like, oh, I've never been to Iceland, but I am perfectly comfortable in this theater. And the same in South Africa and the same in Spain, the same in Singapore. It didn't matter. So, yeah. Yeah. Because you're there in the moment with the people and they're breathing with you. Yeah. And you know if you have their attention or you don't. <laughs> so right. bring it. Do what you got to do to get their attention. Okay. This, keep it. this is a tangent yeah. off of that question because I was even going to ask this question. <laughs> that being said, what's your favorite play that you've seen? Uh, it's probably a tie between our country's good by Timberlake Wharton Baker, which third country kids should totally, totally see or read because it's about the first English soldiers and convicts who arrived in Australia mm-hmm. and the kind of how it affected everybody. And Three Sisters by Anton Chekhov. I love that play. Just throwing it out there for those who want to <laughs> want to catch yeah, yeah. the show. Whenever that sh- one's great for anybody who's all about displacement. Yeah, read Three Sisters or see a great. Pro- don't read it. Don't read it. Re- see a great production of it because Chekhov is tough. <laughs> right. Okay. So see a great production. That's where you should go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Last question, and this might be a little bit more of a thinker, but what's one thing that you wish people understood about the mixed race experience? That it is not the only reason it can be difficult is uh, other people's ignorance. Um, And that's not a reason to say, well, mixed kids shouldn't exist because there's always going to be ignorant people. And by that logic, um, then there shouldn't be girls. (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. And I'm, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make an educated guess here that not too many people are saying nope, no more girls. Right, well, you're right. <laughs> right, right, like or the, you know, like everybody. If the, the point because I've heard people say like, oh, it's just too hard for them. Like, well, no, it depends on where and who and how and all that stuff. But really, if you're worried about things being hard for people, how about make a better society? Let's go for that. So that's what's. <laughs> And, and phenotype is nothing. It's meaningless. Uh, uh, culture is everything. And as all TCKs know, you may or may not look like the culture that has most influenced you. And so race is just your phenotype for Pete's sake. Oh my so God. if you have intercultural stuff in you because you're multiracial, well, it's really because your parents are from different cultures and they happen to be different races. Anyway, that's it. I <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we could i'm trying not to unpack that right now because i because uh, i was about to relate that to stuff i'm seeing on tiktok but, but that, that, that should be for another episode oh my gosh lisa where can everyone find you thank you um you can now find me on my new website elizabethliang.com and it's lovely which will then send you to wherever you need to go if you want to know about alien citizen and see it on film you can stream it or buy the dvd if you want to learn about my workshops where i help you tell your own intercultural intersectional or just hard to label story it'll send you there if you want to uh, ask me to be your guest on your podcast like all the stuff it's all that's the hub so there's other websites but that's the hub so just go to that one and it's Elizabeth with a Z L I A N G dot com. And I'll have all the information as normal up on our website as well as in the show notes so people can know where to find you. Well, this has been fun. Thank it's you. it's been a journey around <laughs> we got to where we needed to get to. We just took the scenic route and stopped by and smelled the flowers. I just really needed you to see <laughs> and this other road. Right. And frolicked. <laughs> Probably played with a daffodil, <laughs> got a little distracted by a squirrel, but we came right. to where we were going. <laughs> Fell asleep with the poppies, which is so pleasant. But we're and here. Then... We're here. We got here. <laughs> and I mean, as, as all good black parents will say, but did you die though? No. So we got right. to, where, to where we were going. So yes, it may not be where you thought we were going to start at, but we got to where we were going. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. My pleasure. My, it was an honor and a, just a, so a wonderful gift to, to do this today. Thank you so much, Amanda. Again, everybody listen to all the episodes. I've only listened to one. It was riveting. So I can't wait to hear the rest. You just heard an episode of the Global Chatter podcast, a project by the Black Expat. It's hosted by me, Amanda Bates, and it's edited by Stephanie Fuccio. To learn more about this podcast or to learn more about The Black Expat, visit theblackexpat.com. <laughs>